This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome back. Welcome in. This is still Country Roads Confidential. Still Earsports.com. Still part of the 24-7 Sports Network. Today's Friday, June 24th, and the sun still has not come out the past two days. Interesting, Chris Anderson. Coincidence or not? <laughs> I I think everybody might be pleased that there is no sun out, no 100-degree weather with no rain. Uh, it's nice to finally get some rain, but... Is it dark? Are you implying that it's dark days among the WVU football program, Michael? I live in the shadow of the football stadium. Like I can, not that I have, I can get my binoculars out, lay down on my stomach and see into the practice field sometimes. But maybe it's just the ominous cumulonimbus above the Pushkar Center that has shadowed my dwelling here too. But perhaps it's really nice in Sunnyside and it's nice in South Park. And this is just an anomaly. I'm not sure. I don't know what we're going to talk about today, Chris, except I know that we're allowed to talk. And I think the most frustrating thing of the past 48 hours now, increasingly to me, but definitely more immediately, more intimately to fans, is the following quote from the powers that be at West Virginia. Are you ready to hear this quote? Let's hear it. Okay, ready? Quote. Unquote. Riveting, riveting stuff. Do you, you you understand the legal finaglings here? There's going to be non-disparagement language. There may be a non-disclosure agreement between Team Canning and Team West Virginia. You can't say anything because you breach a settlement and you don't get money, or you breach a settlement and you pay Vic everything. Are you okay with it? Um... Man, no, I I guess I'm not because I guess I've been pretty vocal about the fact that I feel like this investigation needs to be very transparent because of the nature of what's going on and how I felt that there would be some clear evidence. So I felt that the school needed to be transparent to kind of bring everybody together, put the facts out there so that everybody can see them. Um, And all this is doing is making it worse. We've seen it. Like you said, uh, it's this is very disheartening for the fans. They're very upset about it. They're asking a ton of questions. Um, We got obviously conspiracy theories all over the board about what's going on, who was involved in it. Rumors that one high level official said we're keeping him and then overruled by another and, and another and another, and then somebody else got involved and so on and so forth. And that's what's going to happen when you hold a, very important investigation and then shroud everything in mystery and don't release anything and don't talk about it afterwards. Um, But like you said, it's out there that they came to an agreement. It's mutual. I I know some people are going to say, Oh, mutual. Yeah. It's mutual agreements are never mutual, but um, Vic Gunning has 6,000 reasons, 600,000, excuse me, reasons not to say anything about the process. And I imagine that West Virginia probably has about as much, maybe more reasons to not say anything about the process too. So it's accessible. Some information, if you use public records requests, a lot of people know this and I've already done this. I'm told I'm amazed that it's Friday and they haven't done something yet because you extend the news cycle, not only an extra day when you do release the records, but the day between 
the start of it and the day between the end of it are extra days too. So we're on day three of this news cycle. We might get the Friday afternoon news dump. We've been wrong about that a lot lately, Chris. So perhaps these are better people than we give them credit for. But I expect a lot of this to look like a black piece of construction paper. It's gonna be <laughs> it's gonna be redacted and it's gonna look like something from Guantanamo Bay and like heavily heavily edited and, and to protect everything. So you don't accidentally or inadvertently breach the contract because you don't want to pay and you don't want to lose money that you've already negotiated. Um, I'm, I understand the difference. Like I understand it can be both. Like there's, there are legal selling machines here and it's going to wrap this one up really tight and you're just not going to be allowed to talk about it just for procedural purposes. I have asked the president, the athletic director, football coach, even the former defensive coordinators, lawyers, can we talk? Is there anything you can say? Do you want to say? And much of it is just because if I don't, it looks silly. But I did. And every one of us just said, can't say anything. You know, can't, don't want to ruin it. Don't want to breach it. Uh, no comment. We said we're going to say, and I get it. That's fine. Um, it's a bummer, though, because there are so many question marks here that I think can be addressed without breaching the document, without making someone look bad. Case in point, I don't think there's a bigger unknown right now than this conflict, at least in fact between what Neil Brown says and what Kerry Martin says at the outset. Kerry Martin says, I went to my football coach and I expressed my disapproval of the actions I was made to experience. And Neil Brown says that he didn't know about Martin's allegations until he read Twitter. It's impossible for me to see how you get past that intersection to where we arrived on Wednesday. That's a major, major problem for me. And I don't think you breach anything if you address that. Um, there are certain things within a disclosure by Neil Brown or within a disclosure by Kerry Martin. Martin may say, yeah, I did tell Brown that. And not only that, but I told him about this, 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 and this, eh, that might, might breach some things. And Brown might say, he didn't tell me about that. Um, but I did later hear about this, 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 and this, that might breach an agreement. I'm not asking for that. I would just like to have that little part sewn up. And I think a lot of people could get over a hump and reach a fair and just conclusion about this if they just knew, for example, about that one piece of conflict. There are other things that I think you can discuss and address without compromising the resolution here. And I don't know why it's not incumbent on people to do that. Hey, you're preaching to the choir here. You're not going to get any argument from me. Um... Again, I, I, you know, I got a lot of pushback with my comments that all of this should have been wide open. Uh, some people saying, why, why do we, you know, I guess, assuming the fans and the press deserve or the public deserve answers to this. Um, I think some of that, I think there is a reason everyone deserves an answer to this. Uh, but I also, like you said, there's going to be things, especially when the students are involved, when the, when the players are involved that they're going to really try to hide behind, not hide, but um, try to keep private, try not to uh, expose anything. Uh, you know, obviously a lot of that stuff happens with injuries. They, they refer to HIPAA and different things about student athlete privacy. So I think a lot of it, like you said, is going to be held back. It's going to be redacted. You're going to get um, a sheet that may have more black ink on it than it does white paper. And I don't get that because there's there's a difference here. There's a difference between saying, let's say, Chris, that you are a safety and you were in the room. And it says on June 25th, we sat down and interviewed Chris Anderson. And Chris Anderson told us that ABC happened in this meeting. We can have the exact same conversation and the exact same disclosure and say on June 25th, we met with blank redacted and redacted, told us ABC and D happened. We're protecting identities. We're not breaching anything. We obviously know something happened. Like, you can report on that. And if you look at, for example, what happened at Utah, Utah was very forthcoming with information there that led them to the conclusion, a less severe but still severe conclusion to, what, I think 60% of the guy's salary, gone. He's no longer the head coach in waiting. Those things never work. All because he was found to have some skeletons in his closet, too. And they had an investigation, and they shared a lot of it. Now, Different states have different rules when it comes to public access and public information. Perhaps that's that situation here. I don't know Utah's public information laws. I know West Virginia's. I've dealt with them a bunch, and I've seen it go different ways. I, I think you can 
you can leave a lot of things out in the light and you can put important stuff in the dark here and you can answer a lot of questions. We'll see how serious and how protected they are. We'll see exactly what um, they agreed on. There's no way that the two sides didn't sign off and approve of what goes public. I would imagine that one side wanted things protected. The other side maybe wanted more things out. They probably wore each other's shoes in those situations because they have interests they want to protect, they want to serve. Time will tell on that, but man, it's going to really bug me if this is just a bunch of, we did this, 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 and this, and it doesn't say what they found. I don't need to know who they talked to. I don't need to know when they talked to them. I would like to know what they found out and what led them to this conclusion. Well, again, we're recording this Friday morning. Uh, we joke about the Friday news dumps. We've been off on that. Uh, they released the beginning news uh, Wednesday morning, uh, which was amazing. Like, how often are schools releasing news like that to kick off a day in the middle of the week? Uh, it's pretty remarkable. Um, so hopefully we get it today. Maybe who knows? Maybe by the time we post this podcast, we'll have more information, we'll be writing stories and, and moving forward. But uh, until then, there's not. Unfortunately, like you said, they, they've extended this this news cycle. It, it's it's going to be talked about. It's going to be discussed. It's going to be um, you know conspiracy theories thrown about, and and fans are going to be asking questions and debating it until we get some answers. So the longer it takes, the more that's going to happen. Yeah, and then you let people sleep on it, and if you let them sleep on it, maybe they go to an outcome you don't want to. And I just think a lot of this can be resolved. If you think, for example, that Neil Brown and Shane Lyons wanted uh, a 30-day period for a leave or a suspension or whatever, do some sensitivity training, some counseling, go to a sabbatical for seven days out in Wyoming, whatever, and then the president of the university says, no, got to go. That's important, I think. Um, If the president and the athletic director were on the same page, that matters. That helps you understand the situation. If the football coach and the athletic director were not on the same page, that's a problem, you think. Trouble is, I'm not sure we'll ever get that. I don't know that they're going to actually register and record the vote. I don't think Neil Brown has a vote. Um, But I think that that's something that could help things. You may not have an understanding there. It may not help you get over that hump. But conversely, there are things that are attainable. If you find out, for example, that the comment about building the wall was a big deal to people, you can express that in the findings of the report. That may be a bigger deal to the people who did the investigation than some of the other treatment that Martin maybe internalized and presented to be much worse than it was. And then again, if Martin explains his actions or Brown explains his actions, who knew what and when did they know it? Similar to Watergate, what did the president know and when did he know it? That changes things here too. There's there's little things that you can do with, I think I think, without compromising the result, the outcome, the future of that pact. And I just don't know, don't think that they're going to go that way. But even if you do, here we go, news cycle, it's shaken up. That hornet's nest may be settled or settling right now. What do you think the outcome is if the status quo goes forward and it's just quiet? Or if the status quo goes forward and there is some color added to our black and white world? I don't know. I think the only thing that can really come from, not the only thing, but the biggest thing that can come from once this information is released is, and you kind of touched on it already, is just who the real decision makers are in this situation and these big situations. Because we're talking about a coach on a football team. And on the football team, you got the head coach who's in charge of that. But then you have Shane Lyons, athletic department, athletic director, who's in charge of the entire athletic department. And then you have President Gordon Gee, who's president of the entire university. So if something happens on the football team, one would think that Neil Brown would make that decision. However, if it gets big enough, is Shane Lyons involved? Obviously he is. Uh, Does Gordon Gee get involved? At what point does he get involved? At what point does Shane Lyons get involved? Um, is it in a vote between the three people? Do other people get involved? We've talked about, for instance, how important Kelly Zinn is around the athletic department. Is she involved in this? Does this go to the board of governors? Who all had input on this? And how often is that happening? How often are people outside of the football team coming in and, let's say, assisting with decisions within the program? 
I think that's that would be my biggest takeaway from here because the other aspects of this, the the um, the tensions between the coaches and players, I think that can be worked out. I think that it's going to be worked out um, with changes that they'll make, and obviously with every all parties felt that it would be best if uh, Kane left and and took his leave, but. These decisions, I think, are the biggest thing that could come from this entire situation. Agree, 100%. And there's ways you can explain the process that have nothing to do with the particulars of the case and the protection of the outcome, too. Let me walk you through something here, just to explain my point of view. Um, you find out the president of the university has the thumbs up, thumbs down. Not surprising. Um, and maybe a general counsel and perhaps the chair of the board of governors or some collective within the board of governors. Board of governors, really important. But you find out who ultimately has the thumb up, thumb down. That may involve Shane Lyons and or Kelly Zoom. So the president says, thumbs down, got to go. We've worked on a mutual separation agreement on the way. Lyons says, I don't know. Leave of absence. Some sort of reconciliatory action with Martin, the players, and also a program. Again, it could be 30 days of you know, meeting with someone to talk about coaching sensitivity. I don't know. And Lyon says, I'd like to do that. And more importantly, my football coach would really like to do that. Well, now you have an idea of how the conversation works. And you can understand the athletic side lobbying for the best interest of the football program, at least in their view. And the athletic director may submit that recommendation and the president may, eh, I don't know, it's a good idea. I like it. It's a possibility. You know, it's not a binary, but we can think about it. We're still going to go with our idea. If you bring Neil Brown into the room and Brown says, I've known this guy a long time. I've been with him four years up close, five years. Well, yeah, five years up close, personal. Trust him. Know what he's like inside. And the president says, listen, I like it. I heard your athletic director. It's not a bad idea, but the situation is so strange and so different than what you think or what other people may know. We just can't do it. And then you have some idea, at least what happened, but you don't have an idea what made Guy say that last part. What was so strange? What was so unusual? And then if you get this document and it's not all unredacted and you see the continuation of this conversation from Guy to Lyons and then Lyons to Brown, Brown to Lyons, Brown and Lyons back up to Guy, what gives? What was so weird? Well, hypothetically, your coach wasn't very open to the investigation. He was standoffish. He was dismissive. He thought he was as much a victim as anybody else. Well, now you have an idea that maybe Canning wasn't that invested in this. Maybe he didn't want to participate. Maybe he didn't think he did anything wrong. And again, you're getting ideas. You're not just getting the smoke coming out of the chimney at Stewart Hall or the Pushcar Center. You're getting an idea of what went into the fireplace and what was burning and what produced this outcome there. And every degree that I just explained changes what you know and probably what you think of the outcome. Do I expect things like that? No, I don't. Do I hope for them? I do. I have personal reasons. I go back to 2010 when something similar happened and I wrote a story that ended up where I think a lot of people thought it was with a football coach getting fired or maybe that was even a mutual separation and that got sewn up in a non-disparagement agreement. So you make allegations and you say something is going to happen and here's the reasons why it happens and there's no evidence or proof that you were right or wrong and all of a sudden someone's made to go away for unknown reasons, that still bugs me. And here we are again. There's no better cure for this. And I'm not sure they will or they want to carry out their end of the deal here any better. I'm not sure they can. But that's why I hope that there's some sort of information, there's some sort of illustration here at the end because I think it helps everybody involved within ways that, again, don't jeopardize the sanctity of this resolution they have. I agree. Are we um, are we ready to talk about something else? I, I know I know this is obviously important, but I know there are a lot of people that that are done with this situation. Um, not me and you. <laughs> I have a feeling you know people were like, "Hey, what's going on here?" And and, and we said we're not done with this. We're going to keep searching. We're going to keep trying to find answers, and we'll share it. Um, but for those who are done with Vic. Anything else you want to talk about, Mike? Oh, oh you want to go to the sunnier story about the pandemic? <laughs> uh, 
What, what are my other options? Do I have anything else? Anything well, else let's, at all? Well, we might actually have good news today. Today's Friday. The Board of Governors meets, and there there is an idea in people's minds that the same group who shut down the spring championships in March, they may do the same thing today with the fall championships. Um, Shane Lyons is the head of the football oversight committee. His his group's big deal right now is to, I guess, tell them to hurry up and wait. Um, he and his group sent the Board of Governors a letter and said, I understand your power, understand your responsibility, understand the weight of the decision you have to make, but please wait, which seems obtuse this late in the game, but I get it. You don't have to make a decision right now, but you're probably asking for what? Another 10 days. Um, so maybe they can do that. Maybe they can't, but I have a hard time believing that they're going to cancel fall sports because today, because I have a hard time believing you're going to cancel fall sports and still let football go off at the bowl subdivision level. Um, the NCAA cannot do anything about football in the Power Five and Group of Five. It really can't do anything about football at the FCS and Division Two and Division Three level. It just doesn't have to sponsor a championship game or a playoff setup, which is a big deal. Um, but it can say, hey, we're done with all these fall sports. And I just have a hard time thinking that presidents and chancellors are going to say, cool, we're still playing football. I do for some. And I think it, it's almost, depending on what comes from that meeting, um, could be pushing more towards, I think, what we've all kind of been discussing for a while now is maybe a season where it's literally only Power 5 schools playing football this fall. Because with these other schools, with the smaller schools, it's it's not that big of a financial gain. For some, it's a loss. Um, and... Until you get up into the bigger group of five schools or into the power five programs. And that's when it's a big money maker. It's a big deal, not only to the school, but the surrounding areas, the entire states. Uh, people have already thrown out the numbers. I, I'm trying to remember it off the head for West Virginia. I think, what was it? 300 some million dollars <laughs> to the local economy. Uh, thousands and thousands and thousands of jobs. So it, it's more than just a game when it comes to that, when it comes to big time college football. So I think... We're trending towards that for me in my eyes. I see it with every single step, every single decision being made. It seems like this is this could very well be a power five only type of season, type of fall where just the power five programs play. Because like you said, even if the NCAA rules to cancel all fall championships, that's just FCS and lower. That's not going to affect group of five or power five but it could come to the point where the group of fives if they're not allowed to get these big paydays from the power five schools uh you know because these non-conference games are being canceled then it might be better for them also financially speaking to sit this one out and just kind of recoup and prepare for next year and so i still think even if the ncaa says whatever they say today we'll see power five football but that might spell the end of the rest of football for this year. But can you imagine being on a Power 5 campus? Let's just say here, um, hey, Neil Brown, you and your 125, you can play. We can spend untold sums on you so you can make untold sums for us. But listen, Nikki Izzo, Dan Stratford, you got to set this one out. Um, Sean Kovich, you got to – actually, I don't think golf's a fall sport. Um, volleyball, Mr. Sunahara, you got to set this one out. And tell all your student athletes they're not quite important enough to play. That's a hard thing, I think, for presidents and, and chancellors to do. And maybe they will. And, and maybe they'll just walk around like Jim Carrey as the Riddler and Batman with that green suit. But others will have a set of question marks. They'll just have dollar signs all over. So instead of Gordon Gee with a bow tie, he'll just wear dollar signs around his uh, sports jacket the next time he's out. Because it's just a cash grab. And I get yeah. it. It's survival. You have to do it. Um, it comes with a huge, huge cost um, in, in morality and finances and risk and priorities. Um It'll, I don't think if they do that, it'll never be the same, the equity or the perception of equity in college sports. Um, it's a big deal. And I, I think I think also if they cancel championships, I don't think necessarily that the FCS sits it out. A division two, II, division three, maybe it's really hard for those schools to fund it. But I wonder if the FCS says, all right, we'll just play a regular season. And I don't know, do they do like a bowl thing like back in the 20s where just the number one team at the end of the year. Maybe you play a game or maybe you just use the top 25 and the number one team. So champion, I don't know, but 
But even then you wonder, what are their operating expenses going to be compared to their revenue? Because they're not going to be allowed to have 100% attendance in the stands. Um, probably not even like two-thirds. So are they going to be able to make enough money to justify playing? I don't know. Um, but at the group of five level, the power five level especially, it's such a wrecking ball for the financial situation of the athletic department. We're, we're talking to West Virginia, 50, 55 million if you don't play football. Um, that's tough. We do have ideas that football will go forward and models. And Chris, you told me an interesting piece here. I'll summarize, and you can explain to me why this may matter. But um, Gary Stoken, who spoke to us last week about the plans for what the Peach Bowl Inc. might do as it organizes and operates the Chick-fil-A kickoff games. That's the group in Atlanta that runs those games every year, as well as the Peach Bowl at the end. Um, and it says, hey, we might be able to have West Virginia against Virginia. He's doing media rounds for a while, and he's back in the news again because the ACC has an idea that it may do something. So he has games that feature ACC teams. So, hey, we'll talk. Um, canceled appointments today. Cleared his schedule because he has something big coming up, he thinks. Uh, an important meeting here. We can put two and two together, I think, and see where this is going. But let's um, let's do what we do best and just kind of scrutinize and project a little bit. But what do you see out of this? Of a guy who's involved with ACC games and the scheduling of non-conference or perhaps non-conference plus one models, um, what do you think's brewing here? It all hinges on which games he's having discussions about. Because correct me if I'm wrong, but he's in charge. You know, the Chick Fil A or the Peach Bowl Inc. or whatever the company is, they are in charge. They are in charge of all the kickoff classic games to start the year which includes West Virginia, Florida State, and the Peach Bowl, which is at the end of the year, and another bowl game, maybe? Um, I'm not Definitely the Peach Bowl, definitely the kickoff classic games to start the year. So are these? is this important meeting about the Peach Bowl, or is it about the kickoff classic games that involve multiple ACC teams? And the reason... I'm leaning more towards the ACC or the kickoff classic games is because it's also brewing this morning, Friday morning, that the ACC is moving towards a 10-game conference schedule with one non-conference game, um, which is <laughs> odd. ridiculous. I think, we, I think we've all discussed, you know, and like the idea of, or kind of like the idea of nine conference games and one non-conference or eight and one. Uh, but you're going 10 and one. What's the point? You're, you're literally getting rid of one game. But anyways, um, you get to that. I mean, then, then you're all of a sudden you're talking about that scenario that you first wrote about after speaking with Gary Stoken of West Virginia potentially playing UVA instead of Florida State in the kickoff classic game. So I think something's brewing here. There's a lot of moving parts. There's a little too much smoke for there not to be fire with something what do you think about non-conference plus one which is actually but no no the acc is 10 conference games plus one non-conference game right yeah so in essence for the acc conference plus three <laughs> which is actually 2020 minus one they only play 12 games they're going to play 11 what what are we doing here like, what's the point of this? If you can't play 12 and you want to play just your conference games, that's eight, maybe nine, if you do something that makes it equitable. So you can match Pac-12, Big Ten, Big 12, with who have nine, with the ACC and SEC who have eight. Okay, to, I get it. Oh, sorry. Do you want to hear my theory? Oh, I'd love to hear it. And unless it's I, just a cha-ching. <laughs> uh, it's related to cha-ching. I think this is a deep, dark, secret conspiracy by the ACC Illuminati to backdoor Notre Dame into their conference. You heard it here first, because uh, what they're going to do, and, uh, and I'm reading this from Brett McMurphy and several other people, is that the ACC presidents are voting at some point. Uh, I have not seen a timeline for this today, tomorrow, next couple of weeks, that if they go to that 10 plus one schedule, that Notre Dame is going to basically be made a full member of the ACC. Oh my gosh! Year. <laughs> Not I don't know about for the future, but for the year, and they will be eligible to play in the ACC championship game. So this is all part of the ACC Illuminati to sneak Notre Dame into a conference to force their hand. Finally, 
There you go. I just don't get the logic. If you can't play 12, how can you play 11? If you're going to play 11, <laughs> just play 12. Like, stop it. Like, what's the deal here? Like, and again, you're not even shortening the season that much. I understand you're buying yourself more time to reschedule games, to space things out, to give your team a parachute just in case. If you go from 12 in 13, 14 weeks, depending on week zero, if they all, if they want to move everything to week zero to start, who knows, whatever. But at most, 12 games in 14 weeks. Listen, you have more time if you play eight or nine. I get that. If you don't like 12 and 13, 11 and 13 is not going to give you the net that you think you want. That's that's really strange to me. And again, this is one conference doing this. Am I reading this right? Yeah, I think it was just the ACC. I mean, I know what Big Ten's non-conference only, Pac-12 is non-conference only, Big 12 is still hoping for a full 12-game season. Um, SEC, I haven't seen anything lately, but yeah, it's just the ACC saying the 10 plus 1. Hey, you want to hear something else? It's oh, unbelievable. Well, oh, you got something important over there, so I'll go ahead and handle this next part because this is probably my favorite part of recording this podcast kind of on the fly. I mean, we have a general guideline of things no, we want to discuss. Let me, let, me stop, let me stop you, actually, because here's the text I just got. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, Make sure you redact. Okay. redact I think I can, I can read this. Said. I can read this. Uh, I'll take that part out because that gives some background. Um FYI, uh, one idea that has attraction is if a player, I'm guessing this means positive, test positive, he won't test again for two months. Three months. That's what I was just about to bring up to you. It's a, a, another what? Brett McMurphy timeline. <laughs> what? Sources, this is from this is not Brett McMurphy. This is not Brett. This is, this is from someone well, who might have told Brett. Yeah. <laughs> Sources Stop tell, it. This is this is too much. I'm done here. <laughs> yeah. If a student athlete has a confirmed positive test, they won't have to test again for next three months. Oh, my gosh. Unless, unless they show symptoms. For example, players who test positive in July will not have to test again until October unless, of course, they show symptoms. Again, Dabo Sweeney. Brilliant. Genius, man. Already got his whole team. Got the Rona. And they're all just going to not have to test again until Thanksgiving. All right. I'm trying to calm down here. This caught me <laughs> off guard. I guess. All right. I, I guess the idea is that you can't contract it twice. That And from, I don't again, I'm not I'm not the guy in this, but it does appear that your body does build up some sort of a wall that can hold you out for. I thought I read six to eight weeks. That does seem like two to three months. OK, I guess that's not so bad, but. And it doesn't seem, it, I think on the surface, that seems a little shady about like if you test people more, you get more positives. I get that doesn't seem like it's it. Um, but again, you're, you're kind of trusting, I guess, some advice of medical experts here who kind of say no need to test them again because that body should be good to resist for a couple of months. Okay. Maybe that makes a little bit more sense to me. I just find that the timing of that very conspiratorial against the flow of our podcast here. <laughs> I, I guess that makes sense. Does that make sense? I don't know if anything makes sense anymore, Mike. I don't know. All right. Uh, something else that won't make sense. We've written a bunch about four deeps and how you have to basically find a way to split up practice to preserve your roster and make sure you don't lose. For example, here we go again. It's another text. I'm just turning it off. The, um, the idea is you don't want to lose your first and second string quarterbacks in practice or your best players atop your depth chart in the position because they were in the same room or the same position, skill work together, whatever. I get it. It makes sense. It's a good idea. Um, but other people compete in the sport, including coaches. And I thought about this a little bit, but you really got my wheels spinning before. But um, I almost have to have a depth chart for coaches too, don't we? Yep. I, th I think, obviously, uh, I mean, they're not immune. The virus doesn't pick and choose. So if a coach gets it and the coach is around these players, too, um, you're going to have to have backup plans for that. You have a backup quarterback. You have a backup running back. But who's your backup play caller? Like, I mean, obviously, you know, Neil Brown is, is currently the play caller slash head coach. And we'll get to the head coach part in a minute. But the play caller, if he's out, is it? Just straight to Parker. <laughs> let's let's go here. If if Neil's not there, is he like Hugh Freeze and is in like a hospital bed? 
and and just calling the game like I got to think you give your head coach every opportunity to coach right yeah well when they kick you guys out of the press box and send you down to the to the field or in the bleacher somewhere Mm -hmm. uh maybe they just put Neil Brown up there in the press box instead okay so he'd be doing it and I guess he'd be like on a headset to do it so I think I mean provided he's not like in bad bad shape and has to be hospitalized if he's got symptoms but you know he can function He's going to do everything he can isolated to call the game, which means headsets, coordination. He'll be in the building, I would guess, unless you say, no, you can't. Like, you're positive. You stay home. And even then, it's going to be like a baseball manager who gets ejected, and he's going to have, like, a way to access the game. So that's interesting. Now, the thing on the sideline is what's pretty cool. Who calls plays? Um, Parker, probably. But maybe he thinks the plays and calls it, and a guy like Trent Jackson, who's been calling plays for years, does he call the plays? Cause he knows the hand signals and stuff like that. So you have one guy coming up with it. And also, I mean, I think at this point, Parker would be like the de facto head coach if Brown isn't there. So he'd have his, I don't know, his attention spread everywhere. So maybe he needs someone to call in plays. It would have to be someone like Trent Jackson or a GA, but I, I imagine Jackson knows the plays are better than everybody else, right? The signals and how to get the point across. Yeah. I mean, I think he pretty much calls in plays already. So I think he would, be be an obvious choice there but with so i now every once in a while in contrary to popular belief every once in a while i do make an appearance at a game and sit in the press box with actual press people that is a pretty darn good view of the field and what's going on more so than down on the field you can obviously see a lot more what if you know, that that works out for Neil Brown, like, or, or whoever's calling plays. I mean, we've see, we see play callers in the press box a lot, up in the up in the box a lot. Maybe that works out better for him. I mean, I I can't imagine a scenario where he would stay there even after quarantine, but he might be able to see more of the field. Might be able to do better as a play caller up in the box and calling plays down through the headset. Yeah. And, and this is kind of a funny conversation, but kind of a funny conversation. But you really do need to have a plan because, again, if you're testing on, what are they saying, Wednesday, and you, you actually think you're going to get the result back on Saturday, I mean, listen, you're going to have guys who may not have a result. Can they play? I don't know. If it's inconclusive, can they play or coach? I don't know. But if they're out, they're out. So you may not know until Friday night, Saturday morning. I mean, I mean, maybe they have these, like, emergency tests that are, like, five minutes later, there's two lines, and, hey, you don't have COVID. I don't know that. I mean, I'm not even sure how reliable those are, but let's just say that 11th hour, you find out you need somebody, you have to have a plan in place. So like this, this I'm sure has been settled like a flow chart where, uh, okay, let's see Jamal die out. Not going to coach. Uh, listen, Dylan August, you've been our safeties coach. You know, a little bit about DBs too. Corners can do that. Um, you're going to coach them this day. Um, okay. Listen, uh, Jordan Leslie, we promoted you to defensive coordinator last month. You know the play calls, but uh, you can't go. Uh, we're going to have Julian Miller, defensive line graduate assistant, works the defensive line coach, probably on the same page as Leslie. Listen, we're going to have you. Oh, God, is he the defensive coordinator now? <laughs> or is he yeah. just calling plays? Yeah. So, I mean, you get the, the complications here. You have to have a plan in place. I'm sure they will, too. The other thing, too, is you can't let everybody run around. There's restrictions for who can be on the sideline. And you can only have so many people with headsets. You can have 23 people with headsets. What sounds like a lot, it's not. You figure 11 people are assistant coaches and the head coach. Um, so that's about half. And then from there, like, here, here are the rules. 15 headsets can be used by countable coaches and graduate assistants for coaching purposes. So, again, you can have 11 coaches that your head coach or 10 assistants, and you can have four GAs on the field. So you get to 15 there. You have three what they call listen-only headsets that they're used for coaches in the booth. Um, and they're either undergraduate students, um, trying to people who – graduate early um they're trying to explain this in the best way i don't know listen only wouldn't even matter but you can't do it you have you can't do anything you can't talk so that doesn't even count so that comes off the top so you're down to 20 um and again 15 them already counted for it and you have four headsets who are used by a squad member um or sometime who's a full-time graduate a graduate student but this would be your trent jackson this would be your markel harrison's in the past guys like that who could do it they're on the team they can have a headset you're going to have to be really smart about those four people there. The three listen onlys they're off the top. They don't count. The 15 are pretty much mandatory. And now have some flexibility when, if and when you lose a player. I 
think what I read is that there will be some sort of relief if you lose an assistant coach and you replace them with a graduate assistant. Um, obviously, the graduate assistant would count, but you could have an extra graduate assistant on the field, I think. Right now, you can have four. I think that they're working on something that says, listen, if you lose one, you lose two, you can add one, you can add two to the field. You can go above the four by however many you need. But the thing you have to wonder is who are the squad members who are going to have the headsets there? That's going to be something to watch this year. Who are the four people that are on the team that may not play very much but still have to be a really integral part of things just in case? And I was just looking at the official coaching staff roster because I was trying to remember, you know, with with basketball, Larry Harrison is listed as the, uh, I believe it's associate head coach. Mm-hmm. Um, I see Matt Moore listed as assistant head coach new role this year because he was co-offensive coordinator with chad scott and then parker came in took offensive coordinator so Moore switched over to assistant head coach um with his uh, not new deal but i guess slightly changed slightly altered deal here i assume that means that if god forbid neil brown is is if he comes down with with coronavirus and has to stay away from the field, can't sit up in the booth and coach from there. Matt Moore is the new head coach or, or does it kind of fall to, or, or cause I, I guess is Bill leg. He's Bill legs, not able assistant. He's assistant to the head coach. So I assume he wouldn't do any on field stuff. He wouldn't take over that role. It would fall to Matt Moore. Correct. That's my presumption. I mean, but then, man, it's your offensive line coach too. Who's that's the one guy who does a ton of coaching in the game. Every, yeah. Not just not just Matt Moore, but offensive line coaches are typically the most engaged within a game, trying to get things right and trying to put fires out. Um, that would be a tough thing to do, man. Um, I think that's one reason that people don't. I shouldn't say don't like having him as your offensive coordinator, but they're so occupied sometimes that it's hard to do. Um, but listen, that's that's fair supposition, and I don't know what you do with analysts and people like that. I mean, I mean, again, there may be exceptions. Right now, you can't put them on the field. They're not assistant coaches. They don't count. So you can't do it, but I mean, does the NCAA allow some flexibility? I would think no, because that means that teams that took advantage of this by just kind of storing future assistant coaches and coordinators on their staff in weird capacities, they kind of bent the rules. Well, that means they're going to be able to straighten them up in their own benefit. I'm not sure that's a great idea. Um, but again, this is such a unique time that, that maybe I'm sure they'll have this figured out by the fourth or fifth week of the season. <laughs> yeah. When the uh, head of the college football world, Oh, wait, we don't have one. Never mind. Never mind. Never mind. Um, let's dribble out the clock here. One last thing, and that's it's basketball, which has quietly been better lately. Um, good results on the COVID front. Started their workouts. Everybody's healthy. I'm guessing it's probably going well. It's pretty rudimentary stuff right now, but work up, workout started. Haven't had any step backs there got the whole team on campus now that's good awarded the 13 scholarship to Senny Enjai we've been over all that but added someone to the future class here and a player we did not know very much about but now that we do um it's Kobe Johnson not from Wisconsin but from Ohio which kind of makes sense because of where Harrison and Huggins like to go but it does seem like <laughs> this this kind of is a central casting kind of guy uh 6'3 point slash shooting guard he's a combo he's got some on the ball skills he can score um and looks like he's probably a pretty good player that we know more about now than we did maybe 24 hours ago yeah he was an all-state first team all-state player in ohio last year averaged almost 20 points a game led his team to a district title and had a few smaller school offers uh kent state toledo bowling green and so on and according to brian snow 24 7 sports national analyst uh, he participated in an event this past weekend, um, performed really well, uh, although to quote Snow, albeit against weak competition, but he's he's long, like, uh, he's listed at 6'3", but my understanding is that his wingspan is a lot longer than that. Uh, he plays more like a 6'6 kind of guy, which is obviously right up Huggins' alley, and Kind of came out, I don't want to say came out of nowhere, because he has been at West Virginia's recruiting camps uh, for basketball each of the last handful of years. He's been working out with the staff, been, I guess you would say, on the periphery uh, of the radar here, and kind of just picked up lately. This was always a piece 
this kind of long, rangy guard slash wing was always something West Virginia wanted in this class. It seemed like they were leaning towards a couple other directions, though. Uh, so things move quickly with Johnson. He even admits that the contact between the two was not very consistent until this past week. Uh, and that's how f- fast things moved. Uh, you know, he performed well last weekend. The coaches, I saw it, heard about it. I, I think it was live streamed so that the coaches, uh, college coaches all around could see it. And then he got an offer. They, ca- they called up his coach and his coach got him on the phone got an offer on Tuesday night. I think it was, they asked him to come up for a virtual visit, uh, you know, zoom call with his coach and his parents on Wednesday. And then he committed Wednesday night, went public Thursday morning. And and that's just how fast it went. It went from in one week, it went from barely talking to the coaches to talking each day, offered visit committed done. Uh, Cause he says, this is it. Uh, he couldn't think of anything better than playing at West Virginia, playing for Bob Huggins. So he plans on signing in November, uh, does not intend to visit anywhere if he's ever even allowed to visit anywhere before then, and signing early and being done with it. So nice pickup, it seems, for West Virginia, just kind of out of the blue. This is what kills mid-major coaches, too. You got a guy like that who you know because you went to his high school or you know his coach, and you watch him, you say, man, I see something here. Here's a 6'3 guy who can rip it. Um, He can drive. He can maybe guard a little bit, but... Boy, I hope his team stinks because <laughs> I don't want to see him going far. But, man, you see a guy win a district championship and make first-team All-State in Ohio, it's going to open eyes. And all of a sudden, that MAC player, that Conference USA player, he starts to think, wait a minute. If I did this at this level and I'm just a junior, I'm going to get better. What will I be like when I'm a senior? What will I be like when I'm a freshman playing in a Power 5 conference? And when they start to think that, typically those Power 5 schools do um, – and that's that's the hardest part about this for mid-major coaches. It's hard to do um, your work when a player you're rooting for has a really good season, too. So two West Virginia's gain, unfortunately, to the detriment of MAC schools and Conference USA schools. Um, and to answer the questions, we've already received this. Uh, and so I'll just go ahead and kind of preemptively talk about it here. That is two commits for this 2021 class. There are two seniors on the team in Taz Sherman and Gabe Osaboyan, but by no means is recruiting done for 2021. Uh, I think West Virginia, I don't think, I know West Virginia will proceed as if they're going to have a four, maybe five spots in this class. Um, and then, it, you know, assuming here, this is what, this is where kind of projections come in of you got the two that we already know that are seniors and then we've discussed this a thousand times. It's no secret. Derek Culver and Oscar Shibway, they have to be considering pro careers after this season. Um, uh, obviously, Oscar already kind of dipped his toes in the NBA front. Derek Culver has that kind of potential, too. And he's a little bit older, so he's probably uh, going to consider it. That's at least four. And I have Just to go back and the, look. But... <laughs> the one-off transfer, too. Right. And... and Exactly. I was trying to say, I, I, I don't know, I can't remember exactly how many it is, but how many years in a row has there been a transfer for it's West Virginia, for, ev- for every school? So you are assuming that there will be, let's say, one of those big guys and a transfer, that's four. If both of the big guys, you're at five. So West Virginia is going to move forward as if they have four open scholarships, at least in this class. So halfway there at best. Senny Enzai, too, pretty much counts toward that, so he'll help, and he'll be here getting seasoning for a year, too. Also notice that he does not play at Huntington Prep, but Huntington Prep is not going to have a season this year. You wonder how that affects the school um, that he was at, Beckley. Beckley Prep? Beckley IGM? What do we call him then? Yeah, Beckley Prep. All right, um, he's not there, but let's just say that they don't play the season. Um, Obviously, Huntington doesn't have a season. Had he stayed there, he wouldn't be able to play. If Beckley doesn't have a season, obviously he can't play. We had talked about how, listen, getting the guy 30, 35 games in a prep season, that's how you develop them, more so than maybe redshirting for a year at a college. Obviously, I think that there was some consideration paid to that right now, that there might not be a season or even a long season for guys like him. And at this point, the better benefit for him is to be on a college campus. And you're not going to play games. You're not going to get a 30, 35-game schedule, but you're not going to have zero. And you're not going to have kind of mundane runs in your open gym and, and working out in 
no offense to these schools, but they're not facilities like West Virginia. You don't have the resources for strength training, for weightlifting, for conditioning, anything like that. So um, it does seem like some forethought went into that decision on his behalf, obviously, but also on West Virginia's because the outlook for prep basketball, high school basketball in the state at this point, not great. And making that jump makes a lot more sense right now. Well, that's all I got, Mike. What do you, you got anything else coming up? I'm fed up. I'm fed up. <laughs> I can't take this anymore. I sometimes feel like I'm the dumbest person in the room, and I sometimes feel like I'm the smartest person in the room. And I don't know which one is right and which one is wrong at all times. Um, I'm going to stick my head in the sand and wake up on August 7th and hope this all works out. That sounds like a – that sounds like – That sounds like the plan everybody has. That's what I was about to say. That sounds like an NCAA-type plan. Now you got it. Now you're ready. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm done. Uh, I have uh, I have hopefully unfolding coverage of whatever the heck happened. Um, I'm hoping to get some stuff back soon and later. I'm always talking to people. Um, I will say this, too. If you're listening uh, and you've talked to people who have given you an explanation, if you're a money person, I understand that there's been some outreach. Man, I'd love to hear uh, just what's going on and how they're trying to make things right. Did they explain anything to you? Uh, did they tell you? You know, listen, we got we're going to outreach to everybody here because we got to make this right with our donors and all that stuff that will matter not only now, but in the future. Hey, find me. I'm easy to find. Um, be happy to talk and listen just because I think there's there's a lot out there that has to be told that maybe people aren't willing to tell um, in the formal formal capacities, the formal channels. So, hey, find me. I'm out there. What, what Mike's trying to say is his DMs are open, as the kids say nowadays. He is I mean, everybody very... knows this, and some people take advantage of it, but I'm encouraging more and more of this nefarious I'll, I'll say this. The people that take advantage of that for me are typically not the people I want to hear from. No offense to the crazy conspiracy theory people um, that just send me screenshots of angry people on the message board. But Well, you wouldn't answer my call, so I had to go by the DMs. <laughs> That's all for this time. We will see you next time for earsports.com. I am Mike Casaza. And unless you have anything else, you I'm are. Chris I am Chris right. I am done. We'll talk to you next time. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.